Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, home of NARC Troopers, and our mission together is to recover from our relationship with a person with NPD. Today's topic is about how the narcissist is a supreme predator. They're a predator. They may not choose to be a predator, but they are. So, you know that little nursery rhyme about the eensy-weensy spider that climbed up the water spout? Down came the rain and washed the spider out. Well, I want to talk about spiders. Um, The predator could be all kinds of different, different kinds, right? There's lots of different predators, lions and bears and just everything. Um, but I know that of all the different predators, mine is a spider from the way he hunts to the way he devours his prey, all of it. Um, the, the sparkly, beautiful, Uh, intricate web that is there to catch the prey in. Well, here's a truth about narcissism. Um, They cannot change. They are what they are. They are the world's most fascinating predator, and that's just what they are. And in my case, my husband was an arachnid. (laughs) Yes, an arachnid. I hate that word. The myth that male spiders can't spin webs comes from the fact that they just really don't do it that often. If you see a spider on a web, you're likely looking at a female. Why, you might ask? Because most male spiders aren't territorial. They spend their lives moving around looking for mates. Hmm, sounds familiar. Because male spiders are always on the move, a web to call home wouldn't make much sense. Uh, You know, Papa was a rolling stone. (laughs) Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Why use up their precious energy building a web when they're just going to abandon it anyway? Right? Think about that. Um, So, in short... Webs aren't much use to male spiders. For females, it's a whole different story. Webs are the life and home of the female spider. This is where they live, eat, breed their whole life. And that's why they put so much effort into constructing a strong and beautiful web. With this, the female spiders never have to move. Their food and their mates come to them. They don't have to go looking for it. So why do male spiders even bother building webs at all? If they're going to spend their lives running after females, what's the use of this wasted silk? They can use their web to swing and climb from one place to another. This helps male spiders and a mate um, get to find a mate a lot faster because they're swinging um, you know, like Spider-Man. Oh, so tired of the different iterations of Spider-Man. How many movies have there been now? Like Spider-Man in the multiverse, like 
20 different versions and it's the same story come on let's do something else anyway uh, they can also use their webs to help them get away from other predators crafty bastards don't you think the similarities between some types of narcissists and spiders are really chillingly profound so let me tell you why first of all the primary use of a spider web is to catch prey while spiders can hunt most of them get their meals by luring and trapping spider webs are sticky and very difficult to see that's why unlucky insects fly straight into them and can't get out here's another one the spider will then swing over to the trapped insect wrap it in silk then suck the life out of it now I know all of that sounds familiar I was married to my narcissist spider for 15 years and every night as we cuddled up it never occurred to me that he was actually an arachnid there were times but I missed them all spiders seemed to follow him everywhere they were always floating in front of him in the car dropping out of trees into his hair making a web beside our bed where we slept he would tenderly remove them and relocate them to the garden saying how much he loved them and how they were his animal totem or spirit animal or one of them snakes or his other uh, buddies they kept finding him in our garage that's another story for another day um, anyway the only thing that he identifies with as much as is that would probably be the snakes but um, narcissists are a lot like spiders because they build a web of lies and half-truths and seduce with beautiful trappings they wait for their victims to come to them and then they make them beg to be eaten alive can you believe that the victim begging to be eaten alive that's some skill to get to get someone to do that and that's exactly what they do they inject their victim with poison that paralyzes them so they can't get away are you following the analogies the extended metaphor here that I'm trying to establish it's an extended metaphor much like trauma bonding and enmeshment you are paralyzed and you're stuck and you can't get away so once they have their prey in their web the spider is going to feed off of it much in the same way as the narcissist feeds off of their victim to get narcissistic supply and fuel right in in the end they find a new and better source of nourishment your replacement and there is an abrupt discard boom just like that all that is left of the spider's prey is just this empty shell survivors of narcissistic abuse will tell you that they are not the same person that they were before hooking up with their narcissist they too are an empty shell when it ends just like the bug that is uh, desiccated in the web it's the same thing the same process it's a parallel uh, experience the problem is that a web can only support so much weight and like a narcissist 
a spider can become greedy and use its web to engulf as many people into their world of deceit as the foundations begin to stretch. The spider tries to keep tabs on everything in the web, but sometimes there is just too much going on that the spider will begin to make mistakes. And sometimes it only takes the smallest little thing, like a gust of wind, to come along and down comes everything. And it's the same with the narcissist um, and what they create. Um, it's always flawed. Most narcissists are guilty of a tragic flaw, and that tragic flaw is usually hubris. This excessive pride or grandiosity or, or um, largesse, as it is often called, will inevitably cause them problems, regardless of their talents or their IQ or whatever endowments they have. Their reckless arrogance will eventually sabotage any real success that they might muster. Their impulsive bad decisions always bring disastrous consequences, and they will immediately distance themselves, walk away from the mess that they made, and then blame shift to accuse someone else of ruining everything. The true tragedy is that their damaged brains actually convince them of these delusions, and they believe that that's what really happened. They are history revisionists. They go back and rewrite it, and then they believe their own fiction. That is probably the worst thing about being with a narcissist is that the way that they just, um, their brains don't allow them to see the truth or to remember anything. And then when you're, when they leave, they, they maybe remember 10% of stuff and really it's just snapshotted things images one-dimensional pictures of you in their head that aren't even real representations of anything true or intimate about who you are they never see you hear you feel you experience you in the way that you do them they just don't the narcissist is a paradox while every uh, narcissists, you know, has, has talents. Maybe they're smart. Maybe, maybe they're even self-aware, but they are incapable of accepting responsibility for their mistakes or any wrongdoing. They feel no guilt, no remorse for causing others tremendous pain, and they have no ability to experience things such as emotional empathy, fidelity, ethics, morals, or regret. While they may be self-aware in some areas, they are blind to the truth and have a callous disregard for anyone else. They often appear charming and sweet and courteous and kind and just perfect, but they are none of those things. And anything that seems too good to be true, you can bet it probably is, right? Real people are not like that. They're not amazing, dazzling Disney versions of like caricatures or something. Real people are stinky, messy, fussy, and all of that sometimes. The narcissist puts on this, this show that just blows you away, knocks your socks off. You know, it's like a, 
it's an extravaganza. So make no mistake, though. Um, you know, they are poisonous, venomous, deadly. And it's all a false persona and nothing more. They are predators. Again, they are predators. That is what they are. First and foremost, it is all that they are capable of ever being. For 15 years, I looked for the good in my husband. I believed he could be so much more than, than he was. And I thought he could do it. That he was capable. Having NPD and other forms of sociopathy and maybe even some psychopathy thrown into the mix, it created a person who was driven by fuel, acquisition, power, deception, and lust. Everything else was a ruse. It wasn't real. It was just this glittery, sparkly web designed to entrap and provide food. Predators are the world's best when it comes to adaptability and resiliency. They can shapeshift in an instant and never lose a moment of sleep or glance back over their shoulder at those that they destroyed in order to make themselves stronger. They just don't care. They are survivalist. You know, with everything going on in the world today, I wish I had my narcissist here still with me because regardless of what happens and how bad things get, all of our systems may fail. We may have like the Great Depression or World War Three or God knows what. He's the guy to have beside you because he's handy. <laughs> he's a survivalist. He will be the last man standing. Because he's ruthless, calculated, smart, cold-blooded, and he is a predator. And when you put all those things together, you know, he will uh, survive anything when the rest of us have perished. You know, they're like cockroaches. They survive anything. Um, and so when the end of the world comes, if, if that's what's happening, I don't think it is, but it is possible. I do believe it's possible. And if it is, the narcissist is going to survive it all. When I was little, spiders were my biggest fear. And as I grew older, I continued to just loathe spiders, anything creepy, crawly, ew. And, and they hurt me. I've got spider bites that just did terrible necrosis of skin and just giant, like, baseball-sized black and blue bites, you know, that got all yucky and infected. Um, so I wanted these things as far away as, from me as possible. And um, in someone else's yard, you know, or somewhere, um, safely where they need to stay away. Since my, my ex has been gone, I have imagine him as many different types of predators. I thought, you know, he could be a shark, maybe like a great white um, that just has to keep moving at all times and searching for food. But you know, he's not a shark. He's a spider. He waits for his prey to come to him. And for all we know, the lesson here 
is that we must be what we are, right? We must be what we are, true to our nature and true to the unchanging law of the universe. We cannot reinvent ourselves as something we are not. A narcissist can't do it. I'm not sure we can either. You know, I have to accept that he's a spider and that I married one and that I loved one and trusted one. And you know how that ended. I was wrapped in silk and allowed him to feed off of me year after year after year. He knows what he is. He knows what he does. He spins that beautiful seductive web and then he sits back and he waits, smug, amused, patient, arrogant, lustful, ravenous, and the fat, juicy prey, they come. They always come like moths to a flame. They just can't help themselves. He's so seductive. When I lay in bed at night, unable to sleep, recursive, intrusive thoughts run across my mind. It's uh, part of my PTSD, I think, uh, and the trauma. And these days they feel like, you know, that, that, that they tickle my with you know my brain with their little soft feet of a spider is what it feels like crawling across my my head and into my brain um i imagine him you know the giant 180 pound arachnid um there beside me and it's like a human-sized tarantula that reaches over and places one of its furry little feet on the small of my back. Right? Spiders don't have hands, so it has to be a furry foot. Um, gosh, this image is crazy. Um, yeah, and... <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I'm freaking out about the furry foot on my back. Um, and as my feet search for him under the covers, they're met with the sticky feet of a giant spider. You know, they have some sticky Spider-Man kind of stuff going on. Um, in the wee hours of the morning, um, sleep is still sometimes out of reach because I'm thinking about this. And um, it's I, I finally surrender to the images and just pray that he will inject me with the blissful venom that ends all the suffering and sadness. It just numbs you up. You're just paralyzed. You can't move. You can't flee. Uh, you can't fight. You can't do anything. You're just anesthetized, paralyzed. Because, um, you know, that's what he does. And so I sometimes I think, gosh, if I could just have some of that poison, then all of this madness that's hurt would stop he could tenderly wrap me up in that nice little silk cocoon that spiders wrap you in you know before they start sucking the life out of you and then i could just finally just finally get some sleep while he's feeding off of me right what a horrible image that is what how desperate must i be to think that sounds like a good thing right I know now how I want it to end. You know, the female is the bigger one. Spider, talking spiders again. She's smarter and more powerful. 
she makes her web for for life like we made our home as our nest for life and she stays there from the cradle to the grave she needs strength after being depleted from all that spinning and mating and and she needs a snack so you know how this ends don't you she eats him and she lives happily ever after a parting gift for you read for your reading pleasure is this is this classic cautionary tale and it was originally written in 1832 called the spider and the fly and we're going to end with that today because this is a creepy episode and but it's to you know i want you when you're missing your narcissist and you're addicted to them and you're loving them and you're thinking oh my gosh i can't live without them think about this this is my gift think about this think of them as a spider think of them like i do about the furry feet and the sticky hairy spider legs you know coming over under the covers in the bed they're predators guys you got to conjure some images in your mind to help you um get unbrainwashed this is like deprogramming from being brainwashed this is like withdrawal from heroin guys you have to have some tools so imagine the spider and this is what i'm gonna end with today um and so i re- renamed it i'm gonna call it the narcissist and the prey instead of the spider and the fly it's the spider and the fly um but it's gonna be the narcissist and his prey all right here we go will you walk into my parlor said the narcissist to the prey tis the prettiest little parlor that you ever did you spy the way into my parlor is up a winding stair and i have many curious things to show when you are there oh no no said the helpless prey to ask me is in vain for who goes up your winding stair can ne'er come down again i'm sure you must be weary dear with soaring up so high will you rest upon my little bed said the narcissist to the prey okay doesn't rhyme with fly but <laughs> okay come with me and uh, there are pretty curtains drawn around the sheets are fine and thin and if you like to rest a while i'll snugly tuck you in oh no no said the reluctant prey for i've often heard it said they never never wake again who sleep upon your bed said the cunning narcissist to the prey dear friend what can i do to prove the warm affection i've always felt for you i have within my pantry good store of all that's nice i'm sure you're very welcome will you please to take a slice oh no no said the juicy prey kind sir that cannot be i've heard what's in your pantry 
and I do not wish to see. Sweet creature, said the narcissist, you're witty and you're wise. How handsome are your gauzy wings, how brilliant are your eyes. I've a little looking glass upon my parlor shelf. If you'll step in one moment, dear, you shall behold yourself. I thank you, gentle sir, said she, for what you're pleased to say, and, and bidding you good morning now, I'll call another day. The narcissist turned around and around and went into his den. Then well he knew the foolish prey would soon come back again. So he wove a subtle web, beautiful in a little corner sky, and set his table ready to dine upon the prey. Then he came out to his door again, and merrily did sing, Come hither, pray, pretty, pretty, pray, with your pearl and silver wing. Your robes are green and purple, and there's a crest upon your head. Your eyes are like the diamonds bright, but mine are dull as lead. Alas, alas, how soon this silly little prey hearing his wily, flattering words, came slowly flitting by. With buzzing wings the, she hung aloft, then nearer and nearer drew, thinking only of her brilliant eyes and her green and purple hue, thinking only of her crested head, poor foolish thing, at last, up! jumped the cunning narcissist and fiercely held her fast. He drugged her up his winding stair into his dismal den within his little parlor, but she ne'er came out again. And now, dear little children, who may this story read? Two idle, silly, flattering words I pray you'll never heed. Unto this evil counselor, close heart and ear and eye, and take the lesson from this tale of the narcissist and his prey. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. 